Oh Lord, we come before you and we, have, we are seeking your face and we're seeking to do what is right. Do not leave us in the hands of the evil one, but protect us by your almighty arm. And Lord, we pray that you would keep us from being attacked by him. We pray that you would keep him from sifting us like wheat. We pray that the Lord Jesus even now would be interceding on our behalf so that we can come and prosper from looking at your word together and what it says about your only begotten Son. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Colossians, and Colossians chapter 1 in particular, and we're up to verse 15, verse 15 and following of Colossians chapter 1, and I want to concentrate this morning on the first few words in Colossians chapter 15, which says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. This follows on from uh, speaking about Jesus in verses 13 and 14, where uh, the Apostle Paul has been outlining what prayer he has been praying for the people, the Christians in uh, Colossae, uh, what he's been praying for them, and he has spoken about the wonderful redemption that they have in Christ Jesus in verse 13 and 14. Uh, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, that's God has rescued them from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom, that's Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he moves on with verse 15 to he. He now starts to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ in greater detail. And we have this magnificent, possibly even an early hymn in the Christian church that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and says many wonderful things about him. But the first thing that is on the list there is that he is the image of the invisible God. And that is what I want to concentrate on this morning. And what does it mean that Jesus is is the image of the invisible God. What does it mean that he is an image? Well, we do understand images in our society. We understand uh, that there's lots of different types of images that we can uh, see coming through history even. We know of uh, the caveman drawings that have been uh, shown to us. We've seen uh, Greek paintings on urns. We've seen classical art. We've seen uh, more abstract art coming through in modern times. Uh, And then, of course, we have photographs which are images as well. Black and white photographs were the early uh, photographs and that turned into colour photographs. And then we've, of course, got these days multiple photographs which turns into video. Uh, You see multiple images displayed one after another and we see these images flowing along and so we call that video. But even then, we understand with images that they are different types of resolutions within the photographs that we see. Of course, when it comes to video, we understand that there's standard definition. And then there was high definition. And then it moved to ultra-high definition images. And then, of course, we have what is known as 4K today. And I've recently been trying, we could say, lobbying my wife uh, that we need in our home a 4K TV. And it was all well and good. I thought I was making some progress. And then I saw an advertisement for an 8K TV, which means my 4K TV, if I get it, would be obsolete. It would be inferior to an even superior image uh, displayer and that would be an 8K TV. And so what do we understand that all these types of images that we're very familiar with, what do these images do? Well, they display something that we cannot see. They display something that we cannot see. Somebody has seen something, and then they're able to image it for us so that we can then see it. And so what does it mean when... Paul says in verse 15, Jesus is the image of God. Well, he displays God. 
We can't see God. And Paul even points that out in the text. What does he say? He doesn't just say he is the image of God. No, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. We cannot see God. So how can we understand him? How can we see him if, we can't, if he is an invisible being? And that is where Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God himself. When we see Jesus, we see God. And Paul brings this out a couple of times in the letter. He's not just saying it here in verse 15. Uh, We read in verse 19, verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. Once again, saying that if you see Jesus, you see the invisible God. And turn with me over to chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Once again, Paul is wanting to make clear to these Colossians that when you see Jesus, you see the invisible God. And Paul isn't novel. He's not making up stuff that isn't found elsewhere in Scripture. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself reiterates again and again that when you see him you see God for example in John chapter 14 verse 9 anyone who has seen me has seen the father if you see Jesus you see the father Hebrews 1 verse 3 a book that I don't think is written by Paul I'm not sure who is written by but I'm pretty sure it's not Paul Hebrews 1 verse 3 the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being the exact representation of God's being Paul is not unusual no it is again there and there uh, there again and again in scripture that Jesus is the image of God when you see Jesus you see God but you may be saying hang on a minute this idea of the image of God I've heard this before In fact, I think I heard it earlier when we read in this service from Genesis. And I know Genesis 1, 26, verse 27 as well. Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27? Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man... In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And of course, every person that is descended from Adam and Eve is created in God's image as well. So what does it mean that humans are in the image of God, but Jesus also is in the image of God? What is the difference between us being in God's image and Jesus being in God's image? Well, in some sense, all creation images or displays God. How is that? Well, as works of God, we see God's attributes displayed in creation. Look with me at Psalm 19. Turn with me to Psalm 19. Whenever you think of the the way that uh, we can know God through creation, Psalm 19 is right up there. It's one of the great proof texts for the knowledge of God through creation. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. We see there in verse 1. When you look at creation, you see something of God. You see his attributes displayed because that is his work that you're seeing around you and so we understand that as we see these works of God that we then know something of God and that's what Romans 1 teaches us as well a similar proof text Psalm 19 is wonderful for showing that people know God's existence through creation and Romans 1 draws it out even better for us in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 it says for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. No man has an excuse that they don't know God. They know God. They know by looking at his creation that there is a God and his attributes are displayed there. His invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature are displayed in creation as they look around at the work of his hands. And it's the same for us. If we create something, then people can look at that creation that we have made and learn something about us. The way I actually teach scripture at the local school is by drawing on the board lots of little stick figures to illustrate Bible stories. And by looking at those drawings, the kids can learn something about me. Hopefully, they're learning a lot about Jesus, more so than about me, but they learn a lot about me. They learn about my knowledge of God. They also learn what a bad artist I am. They learn that attribute of me, how, how much I fail in being an artist. But they learn about me by looking at my creations. And of course, when they take their little drawings home, uh, they, their parents can see something of the, uh, what their scripture teacher is like as they've mimicked my drawings. We understand that we learn things about people by the way that we see their, their works. And of course, humanity also displays God. We image God by the way that we see God at work in us and by his creation of us. And humanity is actually the pinnacle of imaging God in creation. And the psalmist even finds that hard to believe in Psalm 8. That's the psalm that we opened this morning service with. Psalm 8. Turn with me there now. Psalm 8. Psalm 8, verse 3. We'll pick it up at verse 3. Psalm 8, verse 3 where he says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Can you see there how the psalmist is actually a bit incredulous that God has made humanity as the pinnacle of his creation? He says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, that you put him over all of creation? But it's true. Humanity 
displays the attributes of God like nothing else in creation. Because we are God's children. We are made in God's likeness. And we saw that in uh, Genesis chapter 4 and 5 as we looked at Adam and how he has Seth in his likeness. As his child, Seth represents Adam and shows something about Adam, and it's the same for us. As God's children, we are made in his likeness. We are made in his image. And so we display God's attributes better than anything else in creation, particularly what we would know, we refer to as his communicable attributes. God's communicable attributes are displayed best in us as humans. So basically, in theology, we understand that there's attributes of God, and some are communicable, that they are shared with us, and that God shares them with us, and that God also has incommunicable attributes, which means he does not share them with us, that they are exclusive to God. What are the incommunicable and communicable attributes of God? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is very helpful at listing them for us. If you've ever learned the Westminster Shorter Catechism, this will be familiar to you. If you've never learned the Westminster Shorter Catechism, then maybe it's time that you started memorizing some of the answers to the questions in that. And one of the questions in that is, of course, the big question in life, what is God? And what is the answer? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. They're your incommunicable attributes. God does not communicate with us infinite. We are not infinite. We are not eternal as he is eternal, and we are not unchangeable as he is unchangeable. That's the first part of the answer to that question. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And then it says, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Six attributes listed there, and they are ones that are communicated to us that God shares them with us. Wisdom, power, yes, we have wisdom, yes, we have power, yes, we have holiness, yes, we have justice, yes, we have goodness, and yes, we have truth. And we display those attributes, even though they're not infinite for us and even though they're not eternal in us, we display them in a way that nothing else in creation does. A cat does not display God's wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth in the way that a man does as someone who is in the image of God. And a tree does not display God's attributes the way a man does in his wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So when we look at creation and we want to learn about God and learn what his attributes are, then humans are the best They're the pinnacle of his creation for imaging, for displaying him in this world until Jesus Christ, until Jesus Christ was sent into this world. Why is that? Because in Christ, we see God himself, the invisible God. All his fullness dwells in him in bodily form. Not only does Jesus have the communicable attributes of God of wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, he also has the incommunicable attributes of infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He has those attributes as well because he is not just man, he is God himself. And he displays those attributes of God better than anything else in all creation because he is God himself. And we just see that by the way that he does the work of God. 
He does the works of God, displaying that he is infinite, eternal and unchangeable in being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. And the Apostle Paul wants to make that clear to us in Colossians chapter 1 as well by pointing to the works of God displayed in Jesus Christ. Turn back with me if you're still in Genesis or Psalms there. Turn back with me to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, it says, He is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then he goes on to speak of the three types of works of God. What are the three types of work of God? Creation, providence, and redemption. Creation, by which he creates all things. Providence, by which he governs all things, sustains all things. Because he doesn't just create, he continues to sustain us all. And then, of course, redemption. And that's what we see in this text. Those three works of God attributed to Jesus. To Jesus, which means he is God. Look with me at verse 16. After being hearing that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. That's a work of God. How can that be attributed to Jesus? Oh, because he is God. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. The work of creation is there front and centre. What else do we see, though? We see that he is the one who governs all things as well by his providence. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. How do the neutrons and electrons and everything, all the atoms, how do they hold together? It's because Jesus is holding them together. And that then means that everything holds together. Jesus is the one who holds everything together. He is the one who governs all things by his providence. And not only is he the one who displays God's work in creation and providence, but also in redemption. And that's the very next thing on the list for Paul. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. A wonderful text that reminds us of the work of redemption, that Christ has redeemed us by his work at the cross, by his blood shed on the cross. We are redeemed from sin, redeemed from hell, redeemed from Satan's clutches, and are free to dwell with God for all eternity. So Jesus is the image of God. Yes, we are images of God as well, but he is the image. He is the perfect fulfillment of Psalm 8, that psalm that we read where it says how majestic God's name is in all the earth and how we can't understand what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, you placed him over all things. Well, it's actually Jesus who is the son of man. Yes, we are a son of man as well, but he is the son of man. And Hebrews 2 picks up Psalm 8 and applies it to the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect fulfillment of that psalm. In in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, we read, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? He's quoting from that psalm. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. Quotes from the psalm. And then what does he say, the, the author of Hebrews? In putting everything under him... God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, 
who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is the pinnacle of creation. He is the one who reigns supreme, not implying there that he is a created being. Uh, Of course not. No, we understand that he is infinite, eternal and unchangeable. But he is the one who is the image of God. He surpasses all of creation in displaying God. So what could help us understand these images that give us, that we can see God through, that he displays himself? Well, if we go back to our understanding of the images of the world, maybe we could use those as an illustration for us to understand this. Maybe we could say that the rocks of this world, the cliffs, the Grand Canyon, as you look at that, that's standard definition. And as we look at animals, as we look at the plants, maybe they're high definition. You look at a tree, you look at a beautiful rose, that's high definition, displaying the, the attributes of God. Then as we look at animals, maybe that's ultra high definition. We see as we look at an animal and we see the way that it functions, the joints moving, the blood vessels going. You look down to the the cellular level and you see the endoplasmic reticulum and all the RNA and DNA that's functioning there in the cell and you see God. You see his power. You see his wisdom. You see his goodness there. And it's ultra high definition. And then you look at humans and you see 4K displays of God's attributes. You see the human body. You see the heart and it continuing to pump after decade after decade. It was always my favourite part in human biology to study the heart. I I was meant to be looking after feet, but I had a, a fascination with the heart and how it continues to pump around blood around the body and it returns to it and it keeps on going on and on and on. That's a 4K display of God's goodness, his wisdom, his power there in the human body. But then we look at Jesus and what do we classify him as? Well, he is reality. He is reality. He is really God himself. He's not 16K. He's not 32K. He's not a trillion K. He is reality. When you see Jesus, you see God himself. Everything else in creation can display something of God as his works, but they are not God. We don't bow down and worship a tree or a cow or another person. We only bow down and worship Jesus because he alone is the image of the invisible God. But why don't people see this? Why don't people see that Christ is the image of God and bow down and worship him as God? Well, it's because they're blind. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Once again, reiterating, you can go through the New Testament, you see it again and again, that this idea that Jesus is the image of God. And there it is in chapter 4, verse 4 of 2 Corinthians. But why don't people see it? Paul explains there that Jesus is the image of God, but... The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see it. And it makes sense then, doesn't it? To the blind, you think of a blind person in this world. Does it matter if the television set is displaying video in standard definition? 
Doesn't matter if it's displaying it in ultra high definition. Doesn't matter if it's displaying it in 4K or 8K resolution. It doesn't matter because they can't see it at all. They can't see any image. They can't even see reality, let alone a television set. And so, of course, they don't respond to the image that is displayed to them. And so it is with Jesus Christ as well, as the image of God. It's only when Jesus, by the power of his spirit, heals the blindness of unbelievers that they then joyfully see Christ and understand that he is the image of of God. And it's only then as they see Christ that they then can see everything else as displaying the attributes of God. Just like a blind patient, he can't explain the eye surgery that has given him his sight. But when he sees the surgeon, he is able to say, yes, it has worked and I see this surgeon who has healed my eyes. As the bandages comes off, he sees a surgeon, and then by the surgeon's power, he is then able to see everything else around him. He's able to see his family and his friends. He's able to see the house that he lives in. He's able to see his maybe his guide dog. He's able to see everything else as well. And it's the same for us. When God heals us of our blindness, when Jesus heals us by the power of his spirit, we see God, but then we also look around at all of creation. We look at a tree and we say, how did I not see it before? It displays God's attributes. And as I look at the, the, the documentaries about seals in the Antarctic, I see God's hand at work there and I see God's attributes. Whereas the person filming the documentary still is blinded to the fact that that is God being displayed there in the seals swimming through the ocean. It's only when God opens our eyes that we can see God's attributes being displayed in Christ and in everything else. And so if you've never seen God in creation, you've never seen him in humanity, you've never seen him in Christ, Ask Christ to heal you of your blindness today so that you can understand that he is the image of God and you can understand that all of creation screams that God exists and he is a powerful and wise and good God. Because Jesus promises that those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be open to. And so I encourage you, if you've never seen that Jesus is God, then go to him now and ask him to heal you of the blindness that you suffer so badly with. Ask him to open your eyes so that you may see. But what should we as believers, if you are a Christian, do in response to this verse? Well, firstly, one thing that's always a danger for people all through the ages is don't look for images of God in statues and pictures like the false religions do. God forbade the Israelites from having idols as he was saving them for Jesus Christ, the image of God. And it's the same for us today. He still forbids us from idols as he is saving us for Christ's glorious appearance. You don't need pictures of Jesus. You are waiting for the time where you will see him face to face. What else should we do? Well, we should enjoy looking at the attributes of God displayed in creation. Continue marvelling at rock formations and seeing God's power 
displayed. Continue marvelling at the plants. Enjoy your garden. Go for a walk in a park and look at a tree and ask yourself, what does this teach me about my God? Look at the animals, whether it be a pet or somewhere else in the world. Watch documentaries about animals and marvel at God's attributes, his power, his wisdom, his goodness displayed in them. And look at God's work in the human body. Marvel at your own hand and how it functions. Look at your legs and the way that you can walk. Read books about your internal organs and what's going on in there. And don't just do it out of mild curiosity. Do it so that you can see God's attributes displayed. What else should we do? Well, we can make every effort to display the image of God better as Christians. See, at conversion, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And what does that mean? Well, we as Christians are like an 8K image. Remember before I said that rocks are standard definition, plants are high definition, animals are ultra high definition, humans are 4K, but believing humans, converted humans, we're like 8K images of God. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, we, that's Christians, who with unveiled faces, we're not blind anymore, we all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness. Remember, we're made in God's image, in God's likeness. Here we are made, we're being transformed into Christ's likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we have to understand that we are 8K images in this world so to speak. And one day at our resurrection, we will be like trillion K images of God. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49, just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, that's Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a marvelous chapter on the resurrection of the body and how we look forward to this resurrection. It'll be worth meditating on this afternoon. One day we will be wonderful images of God that we cannot even begin to comprehend here, this side of glory. But at the moment, okay, we are 8K images at conversion. One day we'll be trillion K images. At the moment, we're 8K, but we've got a few dead pixels in our screens. We've got a few smudges, we've got a few cracks in the screen, and it all comes from the sin that we still wrestle with. And so what do we need to do? If Jesus is the image of God, then we need by the Spirit's power to repair and clean ourselves up to be better images of God following on from Christ Jesus, to be Christ-like as much as we possibly can. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to eventually get to. And I didn't want to spoil too much of his thunder for when we get there later. But basically, chapter 1 and 2, he speaks about uh, what God has done. And then, of course, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he gets on to what we should do in response to this and how we should live holy lives. And look with me at chapter 3, verse 9. Flip over a page. Chapter 3, verse 9. How do you improve your imaging of God? Verse 9, it says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator you are being renewed in the image of your creator and so what does that mean well one of the things that paul wants you to do is not lie to each other 
He wants you to display God's attributes better and better, those communicable attributes that he gives us of wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And so what does that mean for you? Well, it means when you go into your workplace, you're seeking to image God's wisdom and his power and his goodness by increased diligence and creativity. Isn't it wonderful? As you work at your work, as you are diligent, you are showing God's power and and his holiness as you are are seeking to live by his laws and in your creativity, as you come up with a, a way to do something better, And yes, your boss probably will make more money off off it than you ever will, the way that you come up, but that creativity there, that's a display of God's wisdom. And as a Christian, you are pushing yourself to display God's wisdom in the workplace. And in the home, you want to image God's holiness and his justice and his truth more fully in your interactions with those around you, the way that you parent, the way that you're a child, the way that you interact with your spouse or your brother or your sister. We should be wanting to be better 8K images with less cracks, less smudges, less dead pixels because we are seeking to be as holy and just and truthful in the home as we can be. So there's three things you could do in response to the fact that Jesus is the image of God. Don't look for images of God in statues and pictures. Enjoy looking at the attributes of God in creation Make every effort to display God's image in the way that you live. But fourthly, and most importantly, let us never take our eyes away from Christ himself. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Yes, we can look at creation and marvel at God's attributes displayed by the works of his hands. But we should keep on looking at Jesus Christ. See Jesus in the pages of your Bibles. Read the Gospels again and again and again. I have a Bible reading plan that takes me through the whole Bible every year, but it takes me through the New Testament twice. And it feels like sometimes I've just read the Gospels and here I am reading them again. But it's wonderful to keep seeing the image of God and the works of his hands as he was here on earth and what he did with people, and particularly his work of redemption which includes me. I am there, and you are too, at the cross on the day he died. And you can understand more about your Lord and Saviour as you read again. Jesus is like the best TV show you can ever watch, and it never ends. You often have your favourite television show, and the sad thing, it comes to an end. The ratings plummet and someone cuts it. Never happens with Jesus Christ. You continue learning about him more and more. You read, you watch reruns in the gospel again and again and again, and you continue to marvel at things you never saw before. He alone is the TV show that always satisfies, that's always interesting and always worth watching. So never take your eyes from Jesus Christ and long for that day when you will see him face to face. He is the one that we should desire to see above all else. Yes, we love looking at creation. Yes, we can love looking at other humans. But we should want to see the human and God-man, Jesus Christ, face-to-face one day. And that should be where our minds are focused. That's what Paul says to us in Colossians chapter 3, doesn't he? Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's where the focus of our hearts should be. If Jesus is the image of the invisible God, then no other sight should ultimately satisfy except for him. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the image of the invisible God, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In your being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Oh, but Lord, we must confess that we have not displayed your image as well as we should. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your work of redemption to be applied refreshed to our hearts even now. And Lord, we, are, we come before you and we thank you for opening our eyes to see you and your attributes in all you have made and to see the image of the invisible God in yourself. But Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to see you better and better. Open our eyes more fully. Take away the blind spots so that we can give you increasing honour and glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen.